is what are you doing internally to address it? And then what are you doing externally to address racism? So internally being policies, practices, systems, how are you capturing systemic barriers, right? If there is something going on inside the organization, how are you capturing that? And what is the system and process to deal with that on the other side? Welcome to Voices of Inclusion, brought to you by Matheson your all-in-one DEI platform. Before we get into the episode, don't forget to comment, like, and subscribe. Also, follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at matheson.io. Let's get back to the episode. Nadi, could you tell us a little bit about your zone of genius in DEI and, and a little bit about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So happy to be here, Robert. Thank you so much. Um, my zone of genius in DEI, before I go there, I just want to say, because people tend to ask this, is that really harassing? <laughs> and it really is my last name. <laughs> it really is. And the short story of it is I was adopted as a baby into a white family. I've been married twice. And when I came out of my second marriage, I was just done having another man's last name that wasn't who I am. And the last name, Fantastic, was given to me about 25 years ago by a friend outside of a club in this really cool, dramatic way. And people have known me as Natty Fantastic for 25 years. So at the back end of this, this second marriage, I was I just made it legal. So that is really my last name. You can cut a check to Natty Fantastic and I'll be fine. <laughs> so I'll start there. <laughs> my zone of genius for DEI space, really it comes down to I where I really thrive is working with leaders to create inclusive culture and make it fun. I add that piece to it because I always say all the time, if I can't make DEI work fun, I will seriously put my head back in the sand and pretend nobody needs to do this work. There has to be some degree of play in everything I do and it comes down to DEI as well. But yeah, it really is, it's just working with leaders to help them see what they need in themselves, what they need in their leadership capacity and what they need inside their businesses or just their leadership roles to really round out inclusive culture and make it sustainable. Um, and it seems like, you know, when I was um, chatting with you the other day, it felt like you have lived a few different lives based on, you know, the few, the, the jobs that you've had. And I kind of have that, like a background that's like, you know, I have a few different um, career paths that I went through, but I think it made me who I am today. And I feel like that's the best part of me. Um, and I know you have a lot of experience in ops and um, DEI, but um, what about your experience in ops gave you such a rich perspective on uh, what you do now in the DEI space? Yeah, great question. Great question, Robert. I come from about now 30 years, roughly, close to 30 years in food and beverage. And that is one of the most toxic environments out there when it comes to discrimination, when it comes to bullying in the workplace, when it comes into just oppressive frameworks of how businesses run. So that, and because I worked at front house, so I was in, in the front of like, you know, serving and bartending and then managing and then GMing and ownership. I've owned my own cafes before. I did all of it in this rounded framework. It really, in one specific industry, allowed me to look at how easy oppression, racism, discrimination slipped into every crack of business because I could see every angle inside of it. So when I started specific to DEI work and moved that into other industries, I've done a lot of work in 
higher ed, done a lot of work in nonprofit. I did a little bit of work in tech before I realized if this is performative, I can't do it. Um, I did work in like those are sort of my my, my uh, small businesses where I really honed in, uh, where I really like to do the work because small business owners, you got to be intentional to want to do this work as a small business, and it's almost easier to touch all the different aspects in inside of small business when it comes to DEI work. So because I came from this big industry of food and beverage. The rich perspective I have allowed me to really narrow and hone that down to fit inside other industries because I can see the cracks and what needs to be filled. And that allowed me to kind of create programs, my online courses, and, and really develop my coaching and my leadership ability around what these cracks need and how we can fill them. Yeah, I feel like every single business has a crack or two. <laughs> oh, or absolutely. Two. Yeah, 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 or 12. <laughs> or 12. Um, and I, you know, it's interesting because I know that everybody has that superhero origin story. And I love the way that yours starts, um, especially when we talk about your superhero origin story in DEI. Um, and I've never heard a story like this before. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, people ask me why I do, I was in a call yesterday and the question was, you know, why do you do this work? It's so frustrating. It was inside with a bunch of people who were also doing DEI work because this work is terribly frustrating to do, you know, at any level that you're doing it at. And mine, it came through because this is my life's work. And when COVID hit, we all know COVID and lockdown and people were losing jobs. I'm a single mother. Um, I was working three different jobs. One of them was doing social media. Uh, one of the two of them were working in food and beverage. And when COVID hit, those food and beverage jobs ended on the same day. So I live in Canada and the government supported us through that gratefully. Our government really, really held us up and supported us. So I was, I was economically supported month over month during lockdown. Um, but so it gave me time to kind of lean back a little bit and think about what it is that I wanted to do. And I'm Indigenous, I'm Afro-Indigenous. And I meditate and I was in meditation and I've always had an indigenous man come to me, very medicine man sort of spirit come to me in meditation and he showed up and I, I sat with him for a little bit and was just kind of listening to his guidance and feeling his presence. And for the first time ever, a black woman came into, into my existence and I've never had this ancestor visit me before and I knew it was ancestor. So the indigenous side of me is bigger than the black side of me as far as my ancestry goes which so this woman shows up and the word that she what I just kept hearing inside of this is you know what you have to do you know what you have to do and I came out of this med meditation being like I think I know what I need to do and I didn't really know anything about DEI at that time like I didn't really understand that this was a, a, a job that this was an industry that this is something that organizations were doing I grew up in a white family in very white towns where a lot of the time when I was growing up, I was the only person of color in the entire town. So like I had a lot of internalized oppression that I learned because racial jokes were told around the dinner table the way that I grew up, you know? So there was so much normalized around discrimination that I just thought this is how the world was, you know? And then food and beverage, I was like, this is just how the business works, you know? So I pulled back and I kind of looked at what was out there as far as you know, work that people are doing specific to anti-racism is where I started. And then I just sort of kept going from there and started to sort of take my skill set 
of leadership, my skill set of business operations, my skill set as a natural coach, and started to kind of pull that into the more and more I was learning about inclusion in business, equity in business, belonging framework, psychological safety, <laughs> all the different components of DEI. I just sort of started to pull what I was learning and create frameworks inside business operations and just kind of just kept pushing and pushing and got a couple of clients and learned from those, made a bunch of mistakes as we do when we start in anything that we do and just sort of sort of kept pushing into where I am now in this very carved out niche of leadership development and operations management. This episode was brought to you by you or your company. Well, it could be. Feel free to reach out to me at robert.woods at matheson.io for an ad placement right here. It could be right here, like right here. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, and it seems like it is the perfect space for you because I can see a lot of people really just following you and just um, adhering to, to what you share because of your experience um, and the way that you share it. Because I feel like there aren't that many people that are working DEI with so much joy. And I think that you bring joy to the to the, uh, to the space. Um, I also wanted to say something about the, you know, the, the meditating, you know, um, I, I like, I like to try to meditate, but I've never had an experience like that is what's the secret to meditation? Ooh, that's an interesting question. <laughs> Honestly, breath. And I know we hear this all the time. It's like, oh my God, can you tell me to breathe? But it is literally <laughs> breath because like it's I've hard. got, I'm dyslexic and ADHD somewhere on the spectrum my daughter's autistic and my nephew's autistic and it runs in our family from that neurodiversity is just rampant so my brain's like a squirrel on net a lot of the time it's chaos up in there so it doesn't come natural it doesn't come easy to sit down and meditate so breath when they say it when you know meditation coaches or guidance guidance guides say breath it's really what it is when my brain starts to go squirrely it's just like am i inhaling am i exhaling am i inhaling am i exhaling and that slows my brain down enough that I'm like able to just be right now. And I've had, I mean, ancestors come to me when I need them, when I don't need them. <laughs> when middle of the night, sometimes first thing when I wake up in the morning, it's for most of it, it's when our brain is the most clear. So it can be quite, it can be easier to meditate first thing in the morning if you're struggling, even just laying in bread, bed and taking a few breath while you lay there before you come into full consciousness it's, it can be easier to get into a meditative state in that place so those are kind of my few tricks focus on breath and you know just just, just try to just you got to push it away you got to push away what's going on and busy works for me sometimes not always <laughs> that's amazing um yeah i actually took a few deep breaths while you were speaking <laughs> um and yeah. we actually we actually have a resident um wellness person on our team um, her name is name is oh, kenzie great. she's amazing and she basically uh, does guided meditations every week for the company um so shout out to kens um, but you know <laughs> yeah i know that you know anti-racist you mentioned that uh, a moment ago I feel like that's one of those words that's kind of um, that people avoid or want to avoid, um, especially in the corporate setting. Could you tell us a little bit about like anti-racism, anti-racism in your business and, and how you combat that? Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you say that it's like a conversation that people avoid. Like one of my missions in life is to normalize conversations about DEI. 
which means normalizing conversations about anti-racism. Because if your DEI efforts don't include anti-racism, it's not intersectional, and it's it's you. It's not DEI work, in my opinion. <laughs> if you're not talking about anti-racism inside your your strategy and inside your your team meetings, then are you really even doing DEI work? I challenge that in in a lot of ways. But I have gone into when I was working with corporate specifically, I've gone into the settings with leaders, and they're like, "Can you not say the word racism, though?" I don't use the word oppression because I talk about oppression. I call it the ascension model of liberation, which is we're, we can talk about DEI. We can talk about being inclusive. We can talk about belonging. We can talk about um, creating equity across our hiring platforms and all this kind of thing. That's one piece of it. But then we level up to a place of talking about racism and anti-racism. And then we level up to talking about oppression as a whole and what that looks like inside of an organization. And when we get to a place where we can talk about oppression in a natural, normalized setting, then we actually are able to create liberation for people who are experiencing oppression. That's my view on it, at least. And as long as we're hiding from the rich topics of anti-racism and anti-oppression, we're not getting, we're not allowing that space for people to feel liberation through showing up work and being oppressed microaggressions, whether it's small, whether it's big, whatever it is that people experience inside the workplace, if we're not talking about racism and, and oppression, we're not actually liberating them from, from those containers. So I have an action guide that I have out there, it's called the nine actions for an inclusive and anti-racist business. And I, it's nine very specific actions that I talk about. And one of the things I can say, why I feel people shy away from the conversation of anti-racism is, is they're just scared of it. Right? They just see it as something really, really big, and which turns it into something nebulous in a way, because it's like, oh God, it's everywhere. It could be anything. It could be sneaking around every single corner in our business. Well, it is, yes, but chill out about it too. You know, like let's break this down and be able to look at it through a bite-sized lens of like, okay, is it, what are we doing inside? I mean, and one of the points I talk about is the strategy. Okay, what are we doing inside our overall DEI strategy that addresses racism? nothing cool where can we put that in right that one single piece in there can be helpful just looking at your strategy another one is looking at all your public platforms are you addressing racism inside your public platforms and a lot of people are like whoa no can't do that might be very sensitive signaling someone could see me as being performative that freaks me out cancel culture is out there it's about to get me <laughs> can't talk about it like you know someone's going to think i'm doing it wrong and then i'm going to get canceled we have to get through that we have to move through that fear and get comfortable to talk about these sorts of things publicly with our teams with our clients with our customers you know and being able to actually have that as the space of our company because we're doing the actual work um, two areas that I think really, that I think is really helpful to look at when people are trying to work racism, anti-racism, anti-oppression into their business is what are you doing internally to address it, and then what are you doing externally to address racism. So internally, being policies, practices, systems, how are you capturing systemic barriers, right? If there is something going on inside the organization, how are you capturing that, and what is the system and process to deal? With that on the other side, the internal reflect reflective. The external reflective is what are you doing to participate in anti racism inside your community? Right? That's anti racism. That's major. Not just, yeah. Right? It's major. 
to look at what are you doing externally? Are you partnering with local initiatives? Is there equity sponsorship programs inside your organization that people externally can experience? You know, if you're a small business, let's say your product business or your coaching business from that side, what kind of equity sponsorship programs can you put in place that can be minor? Doesn't have to be significant, break the bank, but what do you have in place that can support, you know, racial diversity? that gets them inside your organization and then what do you do to support them once they're inside that internal and external perspective and how they work together um investing in community right so smaller businesses may not have the economics to be able to giving back to local initiatives that are working on anti-racism and anti-oppression but do product can you donate right do you have time Donate your time inside these organizations that might need might need your 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 body power, or donate your platform. Right, if you've got organizations, and let's say your library is doing some sort of anti-racism um, initiative, use your platform to share that with your community. That is anti-racism work. <laughs> right, we know lifting the message is doing the work, but that's all you've got. Do it if you've got more capacity at a corporate level. Tachi, invest money, invest money, right? Write that into your strategy is over the course of this year, we are going to invest X amount of dollars into these one, two, three, however many initiatives are out there, right? That is anti-racism work at that, at that level. And is it intersectional, right? Anti-racism work, are you supporting environmental impact, right? Environmental impact is right rooted in, into, into racism. Are you supporting gender equity? Are you supporting ageism? Are you supporting ableism? Are you supporting classism, right? Are you are you doing anything for climate justice? Like going back to the environmental and peace, right? All of that is anti-racism work. All of that is like the intersectional work work of anti-racism. Is your team diverse? If it's not, how what are you doing to make help your team be diverse so they know what they need to support racial diversity as it comes into your organization? How are you supporting them? That's anti-racism work, right? So it's at the leadership level. How is your leadership talking about racism? Are they not talking about racism? Red flag, yellow card. How are we changing that, <laughs> right? So, and I'm like literally reading off yes. my guide as I do this because I break this down for people to really see it, you know. And one that gets really easily ignored is: Does your supply chain and your product and service decisions reflect your anti-racist and inclusive values? So at the corporate level, it can be really tricky to sometimes take, okay, with this pen, are the value systems of the people who make this pen, do they align with my value system? Am I supporting that business or am I supporting a business that is absolutely oppressive? At the corporate level, it can be tricky to do that because hello, you've got massive amounts of supplies inside and decisions being made that are outside of your control. But as you're a small business, you can directly make really smart anti-racist decisions inside your business by knowing what organizations you're working with and do they support your values as well? Or are you uplifting people whose values are oppressive? You know, so this like it's, it's so what this what I'm trying to do here is not overwhelm in the sense of, oh my God, it's so big, make it smaller. You know, like if you're working with a leader who doesn't want to talk about anti-racism, how can you make the conversation a little bit smaller and a little bit more bite-sized so they can see a line through it? I'm a skier. So for me, you know, we see a line. We start, start top of the mountain, you see your line, you take your line. 
I skateboard as well. So same thing. I see my line through the park. I'm going to ride my line through the park, you know, so I speak like that. But leaders, same thing. Help them see their line so they can kind of follow it. You make transformational impact with companies as well as individual leaders. Could you talk a little bit about what the key driver of change typically is in these situations? It's so frustrating, and anybody who's listening to this is going to nod their head profusely right now, but it's leadership, right? That's the driver for change is leadership, and anybody who's struggling with getting leadership buy-in is going, oh, God, I'm screwed. <laughs> if you can, right? If, if this is why we're, this is why my bonus community is working with leaders to help them hold that mirror up in front of themselves and be able to see where they are and are not practicing their values. So a big driver for change is like companies, yes, it's leadership, but it's the values. Is the company capable of expressing authentic values around being inclusive and anti-racist? And a real easy, a real easy marker in a company is if they can't, if they're shaky, if it's kind of like watery in the way that they're expressing their values. You're, it's, you can see that, that work needs to be done at a very foundational level, you know, and one of the things I really work with leaders is being able to articulate their values, and that helps them define their goals, which helps me work with them to define their strategy. So that driver of change, know the value system around it, so you can write your goals of what it is you want to achieve, define what you don't want, and then move forward with a strategy that actually is authentic and, and sustainable organization that is really interesting yeah i mean i think that most people well may, maybe not most but a lot of individuals may kind of um walk on eggshells when it comes to any situation related to dei especially if they're not as um you know up to date on the latest information as, as you might be um and i feel like yeah it, it does kind of make the person feel vulnerable like oh i don't want to be the one this time you know um and I know that you probably talk through this or walk people through this in your training, but for the people that are so afraid of being canceled, how do you get them to open up a little bit in a room? Great question. Great question. I just did a blog post about virtue signaling and being informative, mm. where I talk about this sense of like, I don't value the aggression associated with cancel culture. I know why people carry that values and why they do it. I'm a bigger fan of call-in culture, you know, like let's have a conversation about it kind of thing. Um, but it is the number one reason I hear leaders speak about when they are spooked to engage with inclusion and anti-racism work is what if I get it wrong, someone's going to call me out, I'm going to be canceled. And so they don't want to do it. That's the eggshell right there is what I see a lot of the time. So what, where I go with that is, okay, what that to me is a significant, it, it shows that there's some knowledge that needs, there's some knowledge gaps that they have, that they don't feel confident in their ability to do the work and hold the conversation, which for me looks like opportunity. Okay, cool. You're worried about being canceled. So what are the topics that you can't talk about? And how are we gonna increase your knowledge around those topics so that you can talk about them, right? And this goes pushes right back to step one is that personal development, self-work, 
you know, like what are your values? As soon as leaders start to define what their values are and articulate what their goals are and what matters to them, right from there, we can see this little, you know, family tree, if you will, branch out to show like, oh, you don't really know how to talk about inclusion. Cool. Let's get you some language around inclusive language, um, get you some language around inclusive communication. Let's get you some language around intersectional identities. You know, let's get you exposed to diverse perspectives so you can feel more comfortable sharing perspectives that aren't just your own, you know, because you have a better understanding of it. So it's all key identifiers to what they need to know to get more comfortable. Like, you know, I talk about in all my workshops that I do that the point of the workshop isn't to change hearts and minds. I'm not going in to train leaders or to train teams to change hearts and minds. It's not the point for me. My point is to do three main things. One, increase your knowledge so that you can increase your, your capacity for the conversation, right? So if you're limited in what you actually know about diverse perspectives, then your capacity for the conversation is limited as well. So you can only see so broadly until you increase your knowledge. And then to increase your competency your ability to have the conversation, to do the work, to take it outside of the business and have a conversation around the dinner table, right? That's how we stop things like racism in public, right? Someone's being discriminated against at the, at the local coffee shop. If you don't have the knowledge and the capacity inside the conversation, your competency to handle a situation like that is super shaky. And what do people do? They buy them because they don't the, the confidence to engage with it. So we back that right up. Okay, what do you need inside this conversation? How do you support people on anti-racism? How do you support people to actually feel safe inside the organization? You need to understand psychological safety more. Cool, let's learn about that. Here's some tools and resources. Here's how I can teach you about that so you can get to the next level and feel more confident doing it. And from all of that, what I see with leaders is the more that we build their knowledge, the more that the capacity expands, the more their confidence and 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 you know grows inside of it, then they reach other topics. All of a sudden, they get more comfortable talking about this. All of a sudden, the initiative that they wanted inside the organization is actually happening. <laughs> like their hiring has changed. The way that people are coming into the organization and being onboarded has changed. The DEI committee inside the organization is actually being effective. <laughs> because the strategy has changed and it's actually moving projects forward because we've taken a hundred different ideas and turned it into four for the year. Four things we're working on over the next four quarters, you know, and not boom, boom, boom. They get to the end of the year. We write an accountability report and they're like, holy crow, we just moved mountains <laughs> inside the organization. That self-development piece helped the leader get to a place where they're able to actually have the conversation, which expands across the whole course the entire organization oh, wow. back, you know yeah and you know when it comes to dei a lot of um a lot of companies or even uh, dei leaders or heads of dei are having trouble just securing a dei budget um what would you say to those leaders that are having challenges with that and just articulating the value there be specific you know like a lot of the time what happens is people will write a DEI proposal and this is I'm just going to say it because I know when I first started in this work I would do it too is, is as a DEI consultant is you know organizations would want some kind of strategy okay what are we going to do over the course of the year over the course of the year or quarter whatever it is that they want to look at and in my 
under at my underskilled stage, I'll say that I would write strategies that were too big and weren't specific enough because I didn't take the time that I do now, but then I didn't to actually do a culture audit of what the people inside the organization want and need, right? People support what they create. So if you're doing things that isn't supported by the people inside your organization, you're setting yourself up too big. And then it's too big, right? And when you have this organization, you've got this plan that you put in front of leadership and they look at that and go like, what kind of budget is this? You know, like, we don't have that. We can't do that. Okay, how can we make it a bit smaller? Right? Is the project that we want to work on related to DEI committee strategy? Just getting the DEI committee working effectively. Okay, does that cost a lot of money? Not necessarily. You need to bring an external consultant like Natty Fantastic in to do it. Yes, invest in that because it's going to make sense when it comes down to what they're able to do inside the organization at a low budget level. Right? So these sort of things is like be smart, be strategic, hire people in places to do the work that is actually going to help you internally do the work. I say all the time when I work with EI committees specifically or EERG groups employee resource group is my job is to get you to a place that you don't need me. <laughs> like how effective can I be with you to get your organization to a place that you don't need me, but internally you can run it. And when people turn over, uh, team leader leave, DEI committees change and shift every single year, you're not starting from scratch every time. But you've got something built in that's like, nope, this is where we're at. This is where we are. You know, do you need to touch back with me at the beginning or the end of Q4, the beginning of Q1 to just reset your framework for the year? Yeah, cool. That's what we do. You know, does something go a little bit sideways? You need a little bit of help kind of in mid Q2? No problem. Let's jump in and kind of adjust and fix that, move the dials a little bit. But my work is to train people to do the work. <laughs> and that, what I'm seeing is actually reducing the budget needs inside an organization by teaching people how to do the work internally. So it's not so big chunks of pieces and let's put $10,000 into this and train the whole team on something that maybe the team doesn't even need training on. You know, how can we break that down, right? How can we break that down to be like, okay, no one's going to sit through a series of two hour workshops. No one's going to engage with those, but we can put 20 minute bite-sized learning into our onboarding process and run that over the course of a month. Mm. All right, so we're actually impacting the people who are coming into the organization at a smaller level. It's actually more cost effective as well to do it in that sort of way rather than running this huge initiative that doesn't touch as many people as it needs to touch. But just be strategic, be smart, really think about what your organization needs and write stuff into your strategy that's specific to their need. Not what you think DEI and inclusion should look like, but what the organization actually needs. Um, Nadi, um, this has been amazing. You know, I know we're wrapping up, but I um, wanted to ask you, what's one action um, for anyone tuning in um, that you think should take after this? Hold the mirror up. Assess your values. Articulate your values. Look at those biases and really ask yourself if you're, uh, just ask yourself, is my thinking really my thinking? Like, is what I know really what I know? Or is that something conditioned by my upbringing, by media, by external influence? Or is it really at your heart of hearts of the way that you look at diverse backgrounds, diverse perspectives? 
hold that mirror up for a really long time, keep it up, go back to it, keep looking in that mirror and assessing your independent self-work and contribution you make to inclusion inside your leadership role or inside your business or inside your organization, you know, and, and, and stay in that space. It's the one thing I've found to be the most helpful when I work with leaders is, is, is when they don't try to always put the mirror on in front of other people, but they keep it on themselves too. You know, like how are you contributing to the solution and, and what, what are you doing to keep pushing it forward? Well, Nadi, fantastic. That was fantastic advice. <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining us for the Voices of Inclusion podcast. This was awesome. This episode was brought to you by Matheson, your all-in-one DEI platform. Don't forget to comment, like, and subscribe.